This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. A great hand reached out of the dark and grasped mine for a moment, mightily and tenderly. I said to myself, the veil between, though very dark, is very thin. Hello, and welcome to The Thin Place, the Film Geek Radio podcast devoted to discussions of religion, faith, and spirituality in film. Your hosts for this episode are Todd Truffin, that's me, and Ken Moorfield. That must be me. This is episode number 10 for February 2012. Our topic for this episode is the 1963 crime drama High and Low, directed by Akira Kurosawa. This episode is not a spoiler-free discussion, so if you have not yet seen the film and do not want plot spoilers, now would be a great time to check out one of the other podcasts on the Film Geek Radio Network. So, Ken, High and Low, criminal procedural crime drama, tell us a little bit more about the story. Thanks, Todd. Before I do, just want to put in a quick plug for all of our listeners. If you're hearing this on iTunes, our editor has a brief survey on the Thin Place website. We really encourage you to go there and take it so we know something about your listening habits. High and low, it begins with a shoe executive played by the incomparable Toshiro Mifune. He and some of the other executives are in the process of battling for control of the shoe company, and he has leveraged his personal worth to the hilt in an attempt to try to take over the shoe company. At a key point in his business dealings, he gets a call that his son has been kidnapped, and he expresses that he's willing to do anything to get the son back. But then almost immediately, his son returns, and he realizes that it wasn't his son. The kidnappers mistakenly took the son of his chauffeur. There's some question then as to whether or not he will pay the ransom for someone who's not his son. He eventually agrees to participate, and the police then track the ransom money and spend most of the second half of the film trying to find the kidnappers. Uh, they eventually do, and the story concludes with a confrontation between Mr. Gondo, the shoe executive played by Mifune, and the man who kidnapped uh, his chauffeur's son uh, in terms of why he did that. Okay, so... I guess the big question that we might have, apart from the various things that make this such an excellent film, is why are we talking about it on The Thin Place, a podcast devoted to the spiritual in, in film? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you had certainly mentioned a couple weeks ago when we looked at Hugo that Martin Scorsese had a track record of looking at the human condition. And I think we can certainly say the same thing for Kurosawa. Absolutely. Uh, that uh, many of his films uh, deal with um, the human condition, with human spirituality, with uh, spiritual, moral, and religious questions. That high and low is a procedural, makes it easier to look past, but I think there are elements that would be of interest to a faith audience. Uh, certainly there's a culminating scene that I've already mentioned, in which the kidnapper talks about not fearing death, uh, not fearing the afterlife, who speaks of God and not caring much about God's judgment. There are references to God sprinkled throughout the film. At one point, 
one of the rival business executives who's being questioned by the police opines that uh, this tragic event has happened to Mr. Gondo because of divine retribution, mm-hmm. uh, ostensibly for something that he's done. There is a section in the middle, or maybe middle of the second half, about two-thirds of the way through, where the police track the kidnapper through a drug section of town where there are a lot of junkies. And the depiction, I think very overtly, of the life of the heroin addicts is meant to be one of of a living hell or a representation of hell. So there are some references to religion or religious themes in terms of the meaning of life. Why does God allow suffering and evil? Why do things happen to certain people? Are they judgments on us? Uh, There's also a few more overt uh, moral questions that are brought up, certainly the key one being why Mr. Gondo would be called upon to act in, not just for his son, but for his chauffeur's son. At one point, Mr. Gondo's wife says uh, of the chauffeur, when it looks like like Mr. Gondo will not pay the ransom, uh, Mr. Gondo's wife says to the chauffeur, I'll ask in your place. And, and so there's a whole question of Uh, relationships and what we really owe to another person that I think would resonate very strongly with Christians. So those are a couple ones that I picked out. Are there, are there themes from a spiritual perspective or a religious perspective that, that I missed that you could add? I I think you hit the big ones. Um, and, And certainly, you know, there's the, there's this title high and low, which comes up in many different ways in the film. There's certainly some issues of class, the upper class and the lower class. Yes. Um, but also there, there is that sense of um, heaven and hell. And at one point, the, the kidnapper and, he, and even the um, folks that are kind of investigating look at where the house of the Gondos is and the way it sits up on a hill it's this kind of city on a hill sort of situation where everybody can see it. Um, and, they, and they refer to it as some sort of heavenly place. Um, they have air conditioning. Yes. And that is, you know, they have some control over their environment. Whereas then in the low places um, down, it, it's not, not just referred to as hellish as in the, the dope alley scene, which, which really is horrific. But it's, it's hot. Um, the, the low places are very, very hot and oppressively so, whereas the people up on the hill get the breezes and it's more, more like heaven. So there's definitely this interesting interplay of, you know, heaven and hell. Uh, what is the Congress between the two? Why do certain people get privileged and certain others don't? Um, and, and the moral questions, and, and does that have any bearing on where they end up? It's interesting about the house. Even one of the police officers uh, who's doing the investigation at one point, they're canvassing the surrounding neighborhood uh, to look for a phone booth where the killer might have scoped out the house. And even one of the police officers says, uh, when looking up on the house on the hill, yeah, that gets under your skin. It gets on your nerves. Uh, the kidnapper says later on that because his own room was so hot in the summer and so cold in the winter that he came to despise Mr. Gondo 
And it's interesting that the police officers who are these intermediary figures that are not quite low, mm-hmm. uh, but not quite high, how their allegiance shifts at, at one point, one of them says, you know, at first I despised him, meaning Mr. Yondo, because uh, for many of the same reasons as a kidnapper, he seemed to be privileged. He seemed to be uh, wealthy. But then as Mr. Gondo shows himself to be a human being, as he sides with and chooses to identify with the low uh, rather than the high, the police totally change their their mindset. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I think there's overt symbolic references then to... Uh, Christ. I wouldn't go so far as to call Gondo a Christ figure, but there is this notion of I am on high and I choose to voluntarily identify with and suffer in the place (laughs) of the low. And that sort of redeems him, at least in the eyes of those who are surrounding him and looking at him. And I think an important, important aspect of the Christ figure if we you know use that term in a literary sense of these figures, is that Mr. Gondo does suffer. Um, I mean, he goes through a great deal of conflict within himself as to what he should or should not do. And when he does make the decision to pay the ransom, to side with the the low, um, he suffers for it. And you know, there's this interesting place toward the end of the film where the, the police have... Um, regained, they've, they've recovered almost all the ransom money and they're kind of saying, oh, look, hey, we got almost all this money back, but it's too late. Um, the business deal that had ruined Mr. Gondo is d- done. Um, the time for it has passed. He is out of a job. He's, you know, this has had very real consequences for him. He's starting over with another company and one would like to think that he's going to go on to success, but we don't know that. Um, yeah. I mean, his sacrifice is a very real sacrifice. Right. Well, or even just on a more mundane level, at, at one point during the investigation, the police come to the house to talk to Mr. Gondo, and he's out in the yard mowing the lawn. Right. And you see the sort of sweat drenched on his shirt. And so the very first identification that you get of him on the phone from the kidnapper is this idea of the air conditioning and the shelter from the physical elements. And so he's been brought low, not just financially, but I I think there's something that's very physical Mm -hmm. uh, about it, which, again, I don't want to overstate the Christ imagery, but that part of his suffering is is physical, is being no longer sheltered from acts of God or from nature, mm-hmm. from the natural world, but being as exposed to them and the suffering that they bring as anyone else. And then another thing that happens in the physicality of the film, Kurosawa is a master of shot composition yes, and using the screen and whatnot. And throughout the whole film, there's a, a fascinating use of it. The, the film is shot in a very wide uh, aspect ratio. And there's all sorts of interesting things going on with vertical and horizontal lines. But there are two very interesting places in the film where Mr. Gondo is in the throes of making a decision. And one of them is he's taking a shower. And he's 
really wrestling with himself. And instead of there being all these nice, neat, horizontal and vertical lines that we've had through the entire film, there's this extreme close-up of Mr. Gondo in the shower, and he just lets loose, um, washing his hair or something, and the water splashing everywhere. And it is such a, a physical moment mm-hmm. of this man's conflict. Uh, um, you know, everything that was ordered before is now just chaos. And it happens a second time when he's, you know, there's another decision to be made. And I, I just I found it very interesting. And both of them had to do with water. You know, this the cleansing or the... You could even, you know, we, we could even say a baptismal moment where it's where he's making a decision. Well, the, a, another sort of physical shot that stands out for me, and this probably has more to do with Mifune than with Kurosawa, sure. is the shot where the, the ransom money is held, is turned over because they're on a train, mm-hmm. and he has to open the window and throw the briefcase with the money out of the train. And there is that sense in which that almost the desperation or the speed with which he opens the window. And, you know, I think nine actors out of ten would have played that scene where I'm holding on to it too long and I can't quite let myself <laughs> right. let go to it. And Mifune does the exact opposite. It's like, I can't throw it out fast enough. It's almost as though I, and, and I think you really see the struggle with that, where I know that if I hesitate... I might not be able to do that. Sure. And so I think that uh, one of the things that, that marks the artistry of both the filmmaker and the, the actors is the way that they trust the audience to be able to pay attention and to understand what's being communicated without underscoring every little thing through dialogue, without him holding on to the <laughs> case and saying, oh, I can't let go, but I must. Right. Uh, it's just a second or two of business, but it, it really struck me viscerally in mm-hmm. a way that film, I think, is supposed to, because it's a visual as well as a, a, a right. narrative medium. And it's these these little moments of explosive action that are, you know, and are small things. You know, as you said, he's pushing the briefcases out the window. It's not action in the sense of a fight or anything like that. It's these explosive physical movements contrasted with a lot of the film where everything is so controlled. Right. Um, that is... You know, really kind of marks these highlights of tension in, in the story. Another reason why I think this is an apt film to talk about from a thin place perspective is its scope. I think that I had seen the film once before, about six, seven years ago, and one of the things that struck me more so on a second viewing is how much of the film expands outward from Mr. Gonda. The first act is very much centered around him and his living room and Mm -hmm. interacting with the kidnappers. But most of the second act gets away from him and deals with the police. Uh, Most of the third act deals with the police chasing the kidnappers. Uh, Mr. Gonda is brought back in. But I think that some other movies would really focus very much on, on a single character. And I think that Kurosawa has enough skill as a filmmaker to integrate multiple storylines and multiple perspectives uh, that allows him to examine these questions about the meaning of life, about fairness, about suffering from a lot of different perspectives rather than just, you know, putting one person on to be the everyman or the representative. 
Uh, to give one small example, there's a bunch of police officers on the train. They're scoping out the train because they're expecting the money exchange to be on the train. And one of them falls asleep and the other, or he starts to nod off and the other police officer, you know, kind of nudges him and says, this isn't a vacation, uh, you're working. And I thought that was a very apt commentary on the human condition. That is to say, you can motivate yourself to do your job or to help the suffering of others. But there's this whole theme that runs throughout the film about how much do we respond to the suffering of others? Do we ignore it? Do we do something, if it naturally takes us into the the face of the other people that are suffering? Do we go above and beyond? Do we seek out other people who are suffering? And there seemed to be something very real and true to me about that scene that it reminded me a little bit of W.H. Auden's poem Musée des Beaux-Arts about mm. uh, his looking at uh, Bruegel the Elder's painting of the fall of Icarus and that notion that while you're going through intense suffering, the world just keeps turning. And it's interesting you bring that up because there were a, a number of scenes with the investigation. And, and actually, I mean, I thought that the structure of the film in a, you know, I, this may seem small, but it reminded me a little bit of Law & Order episodes. Yes. You know, the, the, the first part of the show is, very, as you said, very focused on the high, uh, in, the, in the house of our victim, and it almost never left that. And then the second half is all about the police doing their job down in the low. Um, but one of the things that I found, I don't know, at times I found a little disturbing was that the number of times the police would be in their briefings, they would be sharing information, and they would all laugh. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, because for them, this is their daily job. This is right. what they do. And they're, and to be fair, there are some things that were kind of funny. Mm -hmm. um, so they would laugh. But then you're always reminded, wait a minute, there's this, you know, this man up here is suffering. And the, the counter to that would be whenever the police were around Mr. Gondo, especially when he and his wife were ha maybe having a discussion or a disagreement, you could tell that their disease, mm -hmm. they were very troubled about having to be around a person going through a legitimately very difficult decision. Um, one in which, you know, everyone would say, hey, you know, no one would blame you if you did X, um, kind of with the understanding that the kind of idyllic right thing to do is over, you know, it was the other thing. Um, but you could tell they, they didn't want to be in that situation of making that choice. Um, and they, they, they showed a certain amount of respect for a person in that choice, in that situation. But as you said, there's that scope of people in different places, the, the different, I don't know, the different relationships that people had to this crime. Right. And I'm not quite sure how to express this, but in the procedural aspects, there is nuance in its representation of the worthiness. I mean, I of... Mr. Gondo. Mm -hmm. That is to say, I mean, I, I, I do think the police change their mind and sort of say, I used to hate him, uh, but at one point they say, we need to be bloodhounds for Mr. Gondo's sake because he's willing to sacrifice. Yes. You know, he's worthy of our best work and our attention, and we really want to find this guy. But there was also this moment, it, there was one moment where they were tracking the kidnapper, and the kidnapper threw the dope town because the plot premise is the kidnapper is buying dope 
apparently to try to murder his accomplices to shut them up. And he takes a prostitute up to a flop house, and they're like, why is he going there? And then they think, okay, well, he's probably going to test it on her to make sure that the dope is pure enough to actually kill someone. And then the kidnapper leaves the room, and one of them follows, and uh, two of them follow him. One of them runs up to check and see if the prostitute's dead, and they say, yeah, yeah. you know, she is dead, so great. Now let's go to the... And there was that part of me that said, okay, did no one want to stop him from killing the prostitute? Why is it more important exactly. to catch the kidnapper of Mr. Gondo and get the money back, particularly since the child's already been retrieved, uh, than it is to save this person's life? Because we recognize that she's a drug addict and a prostitute. And, you know, so there is that sense in which the his worthiness doesn't just answer questions about who is worthy of mm -hmm. saving or, or it doesn't. It still sort of presents a reality of life that even within a system of worthiness, there's always moral choices to be made between the high and low. And even towards the end where we think, okay, he's worthy, then the implication is, is that these people who are low are not worthy, you yeah. know, or are somehow less worthy or or less important, or even just a little bit of the despair that you can't save everyone that makes you not justify the kidnapper, but understand his complaint at the end where he says, you know, I came to hate you because why have you been so privileged? Why do you mm -hmm. get why do you get everything? Yeah, that, that was a troubling, I mean, the, the whole Dope Alley sequence was, was very troubling um, on, you know, several levels. The, when they're walking through the, the alleyways, you know, I, I was just reminded of zombies. And, I mean, zombies are big today, but, you know, the, they were the walking dead. Right. The sunken eyes, the, the really garish looking, crawling against the walls, um, like animals, really. Mm -hmm. And... You know, really presented in, in such a way as to think, yeah, th these are not people anymore. Mm -hmm. They have become something else, something hellish, um, and and that really, you know, does underscore and and perhaps you know one of those questions, you know, why are we talking about this film or why what makes this film something more than just a, another police procedural, is that it does ask these questions: mm -hmm. are are these not people, right, um, that deserve our attention? Um, well, it keeps it from being a totally happy ending, I, I think, in that it, it keeps the narrative aspect centered on the thematic question. And, and I mean, I think the central thematic question that pervades all parts of the film from different perspectives is what is the value of a human being? Can, mm -hmm. you, can you put a financial value on that? Can you put a... Um, spiritual value on that are some human beings valued more than others and I think that in, in some ways Mr. Gondo is praised because he values someone else as much as his own son Yes, but the film is also honest enough to recognize that the reality is, is we do value people differently mm -hmm. and the people who are valued differently um, 
is it enough to just say God loves you? You know, God cares about you, even though uh, we don't, uh, particularly if we say that we represent God or, you know, think about God. Or is faith without works is some kind of acknowledgement. Uh, I'm thinking of James in the Bible. He says, if you go to a man, if you go to your brother and say, you know, keep, I love you, keep warm, be well fed, uh, and then walk away, you know, of what good is that? And so, um, but then there's also that very modern or postmodern wrestling with the question in philosophical, not just moral terms, because... You know, the evidence of the dope alley is that it's never enough. I right. mean, he's willing to give 30 million yen for one person and he gets most of it, you know, he gets most of it back. But that the, the extent of the human need and the human suffering is extended 30 fold or a hundred fold or a thousand fold mm-hmm. as you wander through the alley. Um, and it makes you realize how much of your valuing of other people is in the self-protective mode. Part of the high and low's philosophical grippiness is that it's a little bit of a a horror story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a horror story that whatever insulation I think I have against the suffering of the world can be taken away from me at any moment. Uh, they talk about the police officer says about the kidnapper his logic betrays a sick mind, but that the, the oddness about it is, is that his logic in some ways is very logical to me. It makes a lot of sense to me. I understand why he hates Mr. Gondo. I understand why he's trying to do something for, you know, why he would rather take this chance at getting a better life than, you know, living the life that, that he's getting and that society can call that sick but in some ways, it seems, you know, that's, it's that, that old trope of the insane person actually seeing something more clearly right. than all the rest of us don't want to admit. Well, and, and clearly, in that sense, you know, in that last conversation between Mr. Gondo and, and the kidnapper, you know, Mr. Gondo is looking at him befuddled and, you know, why do you think we have to hate each other mm-hmm. is his question that kind of sets off the kidnapper in his last little tirade. Um, you know, Mr. Gondo doesn't get it, um, in a sense. He, he doesn't understand. Our police officer kind of does. Yes. Um, and so, you know, there is that sense. Because he's still got one foot in the left. He's got one fo- foot in, in, in each side. Mr. Gondo really doesn't. Um, and, and I wonder if there isn't something there. I mean, the, the horrific part of that ending to me is that our kidnapper goes into a rage and then the police come in to take him out the cage the, the visiting cell for at the, the prison, the gate comes down, and it's over. Right. There is this kind of permanent separation, almost, between these two characters. Order has been, you mentioned law and order, yeah. order has been reestablished. Order has been reestablished. The separation between the high and low. But, but there's still no answer to the question. Well, yes. And, it, and, and that's the, maybe it's the, you know, that's, again, part of what elevates this is that it, it doesn't wrap us up neatly. It ends. And maybe this is a bit of a reach, or some people listening will hear it, but in I, when I heard you say or parrot the line about we don't have to hate each other, yeah. uh, of course the first thing that popped into my mind was the, you know, the, the Bush administration and 
post 9-11. Why did they all hate us? Right. I, I don't understand. But certainly to a much lesser extent, this is, or a much greater extent now, this is a very relevant film for the Main Street versus Wall Street. Exactly. Uh, I don't want to say war, but animosity mm-hmm. that's just being totally ratcheted up in this country. I think it's fascinating when uh, the police are going through the shoe factory looking for leads about who might have a grudge against mm-hmm. Mr. Gondo. And the guy that's working on the shoe factory says, no, he really cares about the work. He, he's got a temper, but he's a good boss because he cares about the work and all the people that hate him are the other executives right. who want to cement or solidify power. And certainly what ends up redeeming him spiritually but also saving him is the fact that the people who are beneath him the police officers the middle managers the you know witnesses the press and the media are all willing to work very hard on his behalf because they see him as not just being exclusively interested in himself and his own benefit but but in some ways of recognizing that if I'm going to be a human being, uh, I have some responsibility to uh, other, you know, other people. Right. And, and that's the big question in the first part of the film. You know, this chauffeur's son gets kidnapped because the kidnapper mistake, you know, mistaken identity. And, you know, the big question is, okay, no, Mr. Gondo did not have anything personally to do with the kidnapping, but does he have a responsibility right. to those who are working under him who would not be in any position for harm if they weren't working for him? Mm-hmm. And that's, it's not an easy question. Well, and to go back to your comment about the end being so disturbing, it, I think it's because it, it tells us, it confronts us in a subtle but very meaningful way of the scandal of you know, godly expectations, that it's not enough to just be better than all the terrible mm-hmm. people, you know, right. to be uh, to be sometimes compassionate or whatever, that um, if you're going to be a Christ figure, <laughs> a real Christ figure, it's not just about like, oh, okay, I will make a tough decision, but uh, about pouring, pouring out your life. And that's, of course, why no human being can ever truly be a Christ figure is because... Uh, we can't give everything all the time. Right. Although, you know, I think we're called upon uh, to try. But I think that part of, to me, the, the real disturbingness at the end is our human side rails against the unfairness of God's expectations on us to love and care for our neighbor or our brother. Um, what Mr. Gondo did ought to be enough. Mm-hmm. And he ought to have earned the right to feel good about himself and we ought to have earned the right to feel good about the society, mm-hmm. the capitalist society that we live in, because it's still populated by good people who do care about their neighbors. And I think Kurosawa takes that material and says, yeah, do, do feel good about him. But, you know, at the end of the day, there are all sorts of questions about why he was in that position to begin with about other people who are not helped by that, who, who live their lives mm-hmm. and never never have uh, the resources of someone actually looking out for them. You know, just how much we want to be comfortable with the status quo and we want an ending that tells us, yeah, everything's, everything's great. Right. 
All right, Ken, that sounds like we're kind of at an end here. Do you have anything else you would like to add about the film? Uh, just uh, that it's a real thumbs up if um, any of our listeners are not familiar with Kurosawa. I think it's a very good starting place. I think it's a very accessible film mm-hmm. for Western or American readers. So if you're somewhat intimidated by uh, foreign language films or subtitles, I, I think the narr- the procedural plot and its familiarity you know, is a good place to start with Kurosawa if you don't know him. And if you don't know Kurosawa, you want to know Kurosawa. Yes, and, and I would agree. I'd also say um, we watched the latest Criterion Blu-ray edition of the film, and, and the picture quality is fantastic. Mm, yeah. Just the, the quality of the visuals is really astounding. Um, so it, it's a real treat to watch. Okay, well, thank you for listening to The Thin Place. If you have comments on this episode, please visit our website at www.filmgeekradio.com to leave a comment. Or you can email us at thethinplace at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow Ken on Twitter, at Ken Moorfield, or at his blog, the number one morefilmblog.com. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah.